0: Well, good morning, everybody. The sunshine and the 80 degrees has come to Indiana. How great is this Memorial Day weekend, huh? Maybe some of you are watching outside. I was just scrolling through the chat room here. So give a shout out. Good morning to the Morgan family up there in Lebanon. Simone family, good morning to you guys. And Patrick family, good morning. Uh, tons of folks joining here. Thanks for all of you who are jumping in and saying hi on the chat. Granades, good morning. Miss all of you. And we got some out-of-towners, out-of-staters. So the Flu family, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that properly, Benita, but you're joining us from South Dakota this morning. How's South Dakota weather treating you out there? And then we've got the The Newsom family, so Ben Newsom, our tech director, who's like, you know, the single most important staff member these days in the Eagle Church world, Ben Newsom, our tech director. None of this happens without him. Well, his parents are joining us, Plymouth, Indiana, up there by South Bend, and Denny's family. Welcome, Denny's family. They're up in the Lafayette area, so, so great. I wish we were all physically together, but we're grateful for technology, and thanks for jumping on the chat and saying hey and... And we want to stay connected to you. We want to know how we can be praying for you and supporting you uh, during these days. And on Memorial Day weekend, I think it's important that we acknowledge all of our military veterans, current and active military members So uh, jump on the chat if that's you or you've got a loved one or a family member, please note that so we can uh, certainly be praying for them this week. But thank you so much. I was on the phone this week with a young man named Brandon Morgan. So Morgan family, Kim and Kevin, sent Brandon off to begin his service in the military. He's joining the Marines. He's preparing for boot camp. Well, the basic training uh, part of it because of COVID-19 is there's like a quarantine era, And so we can be praying for Brandon. I think he's near the end of his two weeks of being holed up in quarantine. But I had a great visit with Brandon and just reminded me again of the sacrifice and the others-oriented nature of all of our military personnel. Jesus said this in John 15, greater love has no one than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so thank you for all of you And who have loved ones who literally gave their lives uh, to experience the country we experience. And thank you for all the active military that are continuing to serve this Memorial Day weekend. We do remember and we do say thank you. So if you've got a Bible, turn it to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 today. I want to speak about this reality. I want to take the next several minutes and talk about what do you do when you've left what used to be And you haven't quite grabbed a hold yet of what will be. I want to talk about what I'm calling the space in between. The space between what you hoped and prayed and expected things to be and what they've actually turned out to be. We can think of the space as the waiting rooms of life. And I specifically want to speak to anyone this morning who's tuning in, who finds themselves in a season of waiting. Now, I think you would agree with me that literally our nation, and it's not an overstatement to say a good portion of the globe, has been in a collective waiting room since about mid-March. But beyond our kind of collective waiting Many of you listening are in your own personal waiting that's been far longer than mid-March and perhaps much more personal and much deeper. Some of you have been waiting for a spouse, waiting for a child, waiting for an answer, waiting for a healing, waiting for a breakthrough, waiting for an apology, waiting, waiting, and waiting. And in that space of waiting, you say, God, what are you doing in that? It was Easter weekend 2004. So, Easter weekend in the church world. As you know, I like to call it Super Bowl week in the church. Doesn't get any bigger than Easter week. And we were prepping for Good Friday service. And Lily, our oldest, was four years old at the time. Kalen was four months old. And so, different era, different season. But Uh, It was Good Friday. We were in preparations for the service, and Kendra called and said that Lily had got up from her afternoon nap, and she wouldn't really move and get out of bed. She said it was kind of her hip and upper leg area was in so much pain that she just, she didn't want to move. And and Kendra thought it was strange, and so, you know, do the Tylenol thing and do the rest thing. And she said, hey, I'm going to stay home with Lily and just kind of keep an eye on things. And so we went through a Good Friday service. I got home after the service, and I could tell when I walked in the doors, it was that look. Husbands, have you had that look when you look at your spouse, and her nonverbal said to you, this is serious. And so it, the pain had progressed to the point where L- Lily literally wouldn't move without kind of screaming and, and crying and writhing in pain, and she kept talking about her hip area. So we decided, well, we created a little kind of, portable bed in the back of the minivan, and we picked her up from the house, and we laid her in the back of the minivan, and Kendra sat back there with her. We buckled Kalen into her car seat, and we headed to Peyton Manning's Children's Hospital. Good Friday, 2004. We check in. We do the drill. They run sequence of tests, some blood work, some MRI, and there was a lot of waiting in that, like any of you have been through the ER scene, and later into the night, they sat down with us and said, you know, there's just some things here that we just, we just don't like what we're seeing on some of the results, some, uh, some things MRI, some things with the blood work. Uh, we need to admit Lily and let us know you're going to be here for a few days. And when they admitted her, we didn't realize this, but then we, as we were going to the room they admitted her in, we were admitted to the pediatric oncology wing. And then they ushered Kendra and I into a little room to sit with a pediatrician and oncologist, and you're sitting there, and you're just kind of time warped. And you just think, like, wasn't it yesterday, like Easter week, the biggest concern in the Simpson house was what color the girls' dresses were going to be for Easter weekend. And here we are sitting at a children's hospital with the pediatrician and an oncologist talking about a multi-day stay to assess what's going on with our four-year-old. And I remember them framing up, like good physicians do, the spectrum of possibilities before us, from the most desired outcome to the least desired outcome and everything in between. And then they said, you just need to settle in. It's going to be a few days of tests and waiting and waiting, and waiting. Well, that's where we find the disciples, Acts chapter 1. That's what's going on. Remember where we left them off last week? Jesus told his disciples they were supposed to go where? Do you remember what city? Go to Jerusalem. What were they supposed to do in Jerusalem? Stay. So God told them, stay in the very place where they had just watched Jesus get executed and brutally beaten. And so they said, go to the place where I know everything inside of you wants to run, but go and stay there because he said he's going to send a spirit of power upon them that they're going to need to carry out Acts 1-8 mission to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so... Look at, we're going to pick it up now, verse 9 and following. Right after he says this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So after he said, stay and wait, then he exits. Man, I want you to feel now what Peter and James and John and Mary and the others, can you feel what they may be just emotionally and relationally must have felt there. It would have been easy for them. Can you see as Jesus began to lift up off the ground, them like clinging and clutching and grasping and trying to hold on to him of any time when they would want Jesus not to exit, but to be near, it would be right now. He just told them, go to Jerusalem. He told them, stay dangerous territory, Pontius Pilate, Herod, whole bunch of animosity towards them, stay. And by the way, you're going to receive a spirit of power and then you're going to go out and no doubt in their minds was, well, Jesus is going to accompany them. Like he's going to be right there with them. And he exits, he ascends. And I wonder, I wonder if anybody today feels what those early disciples had to feel at that moment. In their longing for nearness, Jesus grew increasingly distant. Anybody there today? You're crying out for the nearness of God, for a sense that he's here and he's with you, and it feels like each passing day he gets farther and farther away. That's where they're at in verse 9. Now watch what happens. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky, I imagine so, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So theologically, this is called the ascension. And so we've been moving through the five, move the five stages of the Paschal mystery of Jesus. Remember, Paschal is how God brings life from the dead. When, we, when a seed falls into the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. That in our endings, there's new beginnings. That in Jesus' crucifixion, we've been naming our deaths. In his resurrection, we're claiming our births. And then in the 40 days, we've been grieving our losses and adjusting to a new reality. And now we've come to this point of the ascension. And the ascension is where we're, we're going to learn about releasing our grip here. We're going to have to loosen our grip and let go of what used to be so you can take hold of what will be. And so this is the first of four. What I want you to look at is in the waiting rooms of life. What do we see the disciples doing in their waiting room? By the way, they don't know how long it's going to be. It ends up being 10 days for them. They didn't know that. They're in the waiting room and what do they do? The first action they move to in the waiting room is it's kind of thrust upon them, but they have to release. There's this releasing. That's one of the first movements in the waiting room. Notice for them... Unless they let Jesus go, they have to release the way they were relating with Jesus, which is his physical presence. They had to release a physical nearness with Jesus to then receive and embrace what's to come, which is the spiritual companionship. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. But they couldn't have holding to Jesus what was and embracing what will be. And that's the stage in the waiting rooms of life, man. Man. Can you feel it? Can you feel how much in the waiting rooms of life this happens where you're just you're holding on, you're clutching, you're grasping, you're clinging so desperately to what used to be, and the circumstances are just prying your hands open, and you have to release. You have to let it ascend. And then there's this gap after you release what used to be and you haven't quite grabbed a hold of what will be. That's this space. The waiting room. Do you think about those of you married? Think about the transition from singleness to marriage. Can you think about all the releasing that had to happen there? Like if you're married and you're trying to act like you're still 25 and single, it doesn't work so well. You have to release what was in your singleness, in your youthfulness, and you have to embrace what is now. You're married. You're not 21 and single anymore. You with me? Or in parenting, when you move from being married to then having kids, there's more of the release and embrace. And when you, if you have to work the muscles of letting go of what used to be, of rejoicing and celebrating what used to be, but you have to let it ascend so you can receive what actually is. And I think in married life, there are far too many marriages that are struggling to really unite and connect together because one or both parties haven't really relinquished what used to be. You can't be married, you can't be a, a parent, you can't be a spouse and be behaving like you're 21 and single. It doesn't work that way. And the same applies in your work world, in your financial world, in your ministry world. You've got to release what used to be before you can embrace what will be. And this happens in the waiting rooms of life. This is the ascension. So the question I have in this step in the waiting room is, where is God coming to you these days and saying, hey, pry open your grip, release Surrender, relinquish, let it ascend. You're like, I, but I don't, I don't know. Like those disciples, like he's gone, and they notice it didn't. The spirit didn't just come right away. Now we love that if that happened. Like a moment we release, and then there's the embrace. But then there's this space in between. What one writer calls liminal space. The space of when you let go of what used to be, you haven't grasped what will be in this liminal space, a space that God loves, a space that we tend to greatly resist because it's so difficult to stay here, suspended in the in-between. And one of the works, one of the actions in that waiting room is a releasing. Now watch what happens next because they don't just release, they also move verse 12 Then they returned, look in your Bible, circle to Jerusalem, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. So notice there were two promises that they were waiting for now. They were waiting for the promise that the Spirit would come. What was the second promise the angels gave them? The second coming. Did you see that? So they're waiting for two promises now, that the Spirit's going to be poured out, to empower them to do Acts 1-8, and that Jesus is going to return in the way they saw him go. And so we'll see next week how the fulfillment of the first promise happened, Acts chapter 2. And we're still waiting for the second promise. We're still living in that space. In one sense, we're still in the liminal space that those disciples were thrust into there, looking how Jesus ascended and waiting for him to return. But notice what they're doing. Where did he tell them to go? Jerusalem. What does verse 12 say they did? They returned where, church? Where does it say? To Jerusalem. So they're obeying. Do you see that? They're obeying what they know and the strength that they have. They're doing what they know they could do, even if they don't understand what's to come. They're obeying in the question marks. Or to say it another way, they're not allowing what they don't know to interfere with doing what they do know. And boy, I don't know about you, I can, I can rationalize all kinds of stuff in the waiting rooms of life. It's easy for me to get into a when-then relationship with God in the waiting room. Anybody been there? So here's what that looks like. When you're in a waiting room and you've been calling out to God and he's released your grip on something and he's left you in liminal space, suspended and hanging and haven't grasped what will be yet and you're just hanging there and you're just waiting. There's an, it's easy for me, maybe for you, to say, well, God, when you answer that prayer, then I'll. When you come through, then I'll. When you break through, then I'll. When you, then. When, then. God's not looking for when, then. He's looking for obey and trust now. Obey what you know and the strength that you have and trust him through all the question marks in front of you. I like what Charles Stanley said, I put it in your notes. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. (laughs) That's it right there. That's what Peter and the disciples are doing. They're like, okay, we have no idea why Jesus just ascended. We thought, man, we needed him now more than ever. He's told us to stay and to wait. In Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem, we're staying, we're waiting. We're obeying what we know in the strength that we have. We're not going to allow the unanswered questions to hinder what he's made clear for us to do right now. And so the question for you and for me in this stage is, what has God already made clear to you right now in your waiting room? What's he made clear? That he wants you to obey him and leave the consequences in his hands. So there's this releasing, a relinquishment step. And then there's this obeying. And now watch what happens as they obey. Look at verse 15. Then Peter, he stands up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 so see that? There's a pretty good size gathering right there in the upper room. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Now look at verse 20. For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. Notice that. And now look in your Bibles. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. That's a quotation from Psalm 69. And now look at the next line. May another take his place of leadership. That's Psalm 109. So what's Peter doing here? Peter, in the releasing, in the staying, in the waiting, in the obeying, he opens up the God-breathed book, he opens up the scriptures and he says, hey, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, they speak and give us perspective and context to what's going on here. So it's this third movement, like the third action in the waiting room from releasing to obeying its scripture here. It's that as kind of thrown off as the disciples were at what Judas did, Judas abandoned him, he betrayed him, he sold Jesus out, and then he committed suicide. As disillusioning as that was for the whole group there, Peter remembers that David wrote about this long ago. Psalm 69, Psalm 109. And so he turns to God's word, which gives them God's perspective, and then it gives them, points them to some guidance. It gives like context to what they're going through. And boy, when you hit the waiting rooms, whew, We're going to need good chunks of this stored up in here, right? Our hearts and our minds immersed Genesis to Revelation. This is why I continue to encourage us. It doesn't matter what reading plan you have, but just stay immersed in God's Word. Genesis to Revelation, just stay immersed month after month, year after year. I use the one-year Bible. There's um, the YouVersion Bible app has tons of plans. It doesn't matter what the plan is. The principle is this though, immersion of our hearts and minds in the God-breathed book. Because if you're not in a waiting room today, just keep living. You'll be there. And when you get there, it's going to be very confusing. There's going to be all kinds of noise, all kinds of chaos. The cloud of unknowing will descend on us. And then what are we going to do? We need to think like Peter. Oh, that's right. Psalm 69, Psalm 109. God's word gives God's perspective. And we'll see where it moves them into giving them some guidance. So the question for this third action in the waiting room is, where in God's word has it spoken to the circumstances of your waiting room right now. Where is that? And to dig into that. And to dig below the surface and say, God, you know, as uncertain as all that was for them, Peter began to grasp, you know what? The Lord's not sitting up there wringing his hands going, oh my gosh, we lost Judas, now or what are we going to do? He said, hey, God, he was aware this is going to happen, and here's the perspective we have. And that moves them into now the fourth area of, I want you to see the fourth action in the waiting room for these early disciples. I called it the deciding action. Look at verse 23. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Notice they kind of tossed that in. They're They're still struggling with what he did. Verse 26, then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Church, I want you to see this now. So they move from releasing, right? They have to let go of what was so they can embrace what will be. But they're suspended in this space in between. And in that space in between, they're obeying what they know and the strength that they have. They're turning to God's word and it's giving them perspective on what they're dealing with. And then Peter looks around and goes, hey, we're like, we're like one guy short. We're supposed to be 12. The mission is clear. The gospel's gonna go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We're gonna need at full strength, because he knows the environment they're headed into. He says, well, we don't need to wait to do that. Let's get back to full strength. And he finds Justice and Matthias, evidently two younger believers, disciples, people who they knew, two solid young men. And he says, Lord, which one is these? Which, by the way, the whole context in Acts 1, it shows they're always together praying. (laughs) If you're... (laughs) Usually our prayer lives, right, church, in waiting rooms, it tends to put a notch or two up in our prayer lives. Like, the waiting rooms tend to thrust us to the end of our rope, and at the end of our rope, you know what that posture is? We're on our knees praying. Like, you're like, you're so desperately dependent on God to come through. That's the, like, they know there's no way they're going to be able to move forward based upon these instructions unless God shows up, and so they're praying. And in this case, they're like, A pretty major decision, right? Like, which one of the 12? We're going to put another one of the 12 here, Justice or Matthias. This isn't like color of the carpet decision here. This is like a big deal. And so they're praying. And maybe some of you today, maybe you're right there with Peter and that group, and they're facing a big decision, and they're laying it before the Lord, and they've got some good options in front of them, and for whatever reason, God's silent. God's silent. Man, have you have you found that? Like, you feel like this is a real, like, should I marry this person or not? Should I take this job or not? Should I make this investment or not? Should I make this move or not? Should I move into this ministry or not? Like, big decisions. And as you call out to God and you think, Lord, if any time right now I needed a word from the Lord, like justice or Matthias, pick Matthias. Like, you want that to happen. And for whatever reason, God's silent. And I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about it from a parenting standpoint. So parents, when you're parenting preschoolers, do you see how different it is like the amount of direction and control you give over a preschooler? You don't place a lot of like freedom of choice in the space of a preschooler. Now, a little bit, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, they don't have a large field to go run and do whatever they want in because they developmentally haven't matured to the place where they can handle it. So mom and dad has to go pick Matthias. So I want you to think about now, translate this in to a relationship with God. Early on in our relationship with the Lord, when we're younger in our walk, it's a bit more like a preschooler and a parent that God has to be more clear and direct. When you look in the scriptures, like as his people were just getting started and when the nation of Israel was just getting going, as we'll see in the book of Acts, as the church was just getting going, when it's young and in its infancy, God's very like directive at times. He's like, pick Matthias, turn here, move there, like real clear. And we look at that, we go, God, why aren't you more like that with me? Stay with me here, think about it. If you're a parent, and you're treating your, like, 18-year-old in a similar w- way, like you treat him when you were three, that would be a sign of an unhealthy and immature relationship. When they're 18 or 21 or 25, what do you do as parents? You, you release more into their hands. You step back as a parent, and you trust this. You trust that you've raised them and built into them the character and the spirit and the values for them to move out and make decisions that are in step with what you desire as a parent. Do you see the connection with God? I think a sign of maturity with God is this, where God looks at Peter and this group of early disciples, he knows it's an important decision. And so he tells them to cast lots. You're like, what's up with casting lots? You can look at Proverbs 16, on that if you want. But basically, it was their version of flipping a coin. Now, it's not giving us like, don't just go flip your coins that way. It's this. It's God saying to his people, make a decision. Even though you've got some really good options in front of you. Of course, you're praying. You're obeying what you know and the strength that you have. You're immersed in God's word. You're getting his perspective. Those things are baseline. But when those baselines are established and you're laying it before the Lord and you just have some good options in front of you, and there's no clear word from the Lord, which by the way, most of the time in my life, this is how it happens. It's like, Lord, there's really important decisions. I want to hear from you clearly. I'm seeking to obey you and be in your word and pray and listen for the Spirit's voice. And it's silent. And I think it's like this in Acts 1. I think it's make a decision. Cast lots. Cast lots. Pick, Matthias or Justice. And I found if I apply this, like when you've got really important decisions and you've got multiple options in front of you and you've laid them before the Lord, if you just kind of pray down each of those paths and just kind of envision your life down each path, generally speaking, I found this. I come to life on the inside down one of those paths more than the other. Go with that. That's just my little, I just just go with that and say, okay, Like, I envision what it would be like for Matthias to be on the team and how that might work with all the dynamics. I envision what it would be like for Justice to be on the team and kind of envision that. And he stepped back and go, Matthias, and go with it. And here's what I think God's saying to us. It's a sign of maturity in our relationship with Him when He's released decisions into our hands and He's stepped back a little more and He's trusted by His Spirit inside of us and the character He's developed and our heart and mind and step with His will that we'll make a decision. And hear this, we can't screw it up. Sometimes we're so paralyzed by the size of the decisions and the weight of them afterwards. God's sovereign. In this case, the gospel's gonna get to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth with Justice or Matthias. It's gonna get done. So pick and equip and train and get going. Do you see that? And I wonder today, I wonder if anybody's in a waiting room today. And the question at this stage is this Is there something God's asking you to decide in preparation for the day when you exit the waiting room? I wonder, and I wonder if you've been overly frustrated at a lack of clarity and guidance from him, like, Lord, why don't you just lift up your voice and say, pick Matthias? Could it be that he's saying, hey, you're not a preschooler anymore in your walk. You're growing up into maturity. And part of maturity is a larger field to exercise a freedom of choice, to trust what God's built in you, You've got the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ and the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ and you move out. And for me, it's like, I'm just gonna pick the path where I feel like something inside of me just comes to life that way, going that way with it. And I think God's saying this in the big picture. Hey, relax, take a deep breath. I'm sovereign, I'm with you, Emmanuel, God with you. Whether it's Matthias or Justice, I'll get done what I want to get done. Now pick, decide, get moving. That's some of the stuff that can happen in a waiting room. It doesn't have to all be so passive. So do you see these four like actions? They're like active steps in the waiting. There's a releasing. What is it God's saying? Hey, relinquish the grip on that. Let it ascend. You can't stay clutching to that in order to receive what's to come. Well, how long? I don't know. But this space. But you've got to let go of this in order to grasp this. And then how about in the obeying? Is there something God's made clear to you? Is today a day to abandon the when, then? Maybe your prayer life's been filled with when. God, when you, then I'll. Maybe today God says, why don't you set that aside? And it's obey, trust, now. Obey God, leave the consequences to Him in the waiting. Or is there something in the, just where is this word speaking into the circumstances you're in to say maybe it's some immersion work there. Digging in and saying, God, where have you already spoken into what I'm dealing with? Which could provide God's word, giving God's perspective, which points to guidance on the deciding step. Maybe there's a step of a simple decision, an action you're to take. Make this decision now in preparation for the day when you exit. Because an exit will come from the waiting room. So Easter weekend 2004, we spent the whole weekend Peyton Manning Children's Hospital. I think I came back and forth from the church a few times for Easter services and such. But... Friday turned into Saturday, turned into Sunday. I think Lily got, I don't know how many Easter baskets. Some of you probably were part of that, for blessing them and bringing her Easter baskets and nursing staff Easter baskets and turned into Monday, turned into Tuesday. We were there five days. And it was one test and waiting. One meeting with the doctor and waiting. Another test and waiting. Wait, wait, wait. And then at the end of the five days, They concluded that the majors, the biggies, you know, the ones they were trying to eliminate, they're like, she's she's fine. She's clear from all those things. We're not quite sure all the degree of pain she was battling. Her pain level's much better now. We're going to do some follow-up work with you, monitor it, but for the most part, we're sending you home clean bill of health. And I remember pushing Lily in the wheelchair out the pediatric oncology wing and I remember as we were walking by the rooms, glancing in and seeing a child and seeing parents, and you could tell on the faces that their waiting room wasn't over yet. Because sometimes your waiting room is days, sometimes it's months, and sometimes it's Years. And I suspect when we get to the end of the run and we look back on all the waiting and all the liminal space, I suspect we'll conclude this, that it was really about who we are becoming in the waiting than it was just about what it is we were waiting for. So, whatever space in between this morning finds you in, I want to commend you to these four actions with the disciples in Acts 1. As you stay in Jerusalem and as you wait, I want you to, this week, spend some time with the Lord and say, God, who am I becoming while I wait? Because I think in his eyes, that's at least as important as what I'm waiting for. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks for this story and example here in Acts 1 that speaks so poignantly to us today. I pray for those listening. I I think there's many who find themselves in whether a short-term waiting or there's some listening, and it's been a really long wait. Some waiting for a a redemption and a a renewal, an apology, a healing that just feels so long. Some waiting for an answer that they wonder if it's ever going to come. And so, in whatever waiting, Lord, Emmanuel, God with them. Strengthen them, pour out your Spirit upon them, give them grace and peace Would you help us release today? Just have this picture, church, of somebody right now, I think, is is you just loosening your grip right now. Just loosen your grip and open your hand and let it ascend. To let go of what used to be and to wait. And Lord, would you grant us the eye of faith to believe what will be to receive the Spirit that's in step with the life we're actually living. Make it so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.